My handle is Jonathan Blade. Welcome to my podcast. My episodes are usually directly about or tangentially related to pop culture. Today's guest wanted to take things a little deeper. Now, it's easy to generalize or marginalize when we speak about the developing world. Now, especially in the age of COVID-19, when there are real problems that the majority of humanity is facing, we forget that there are places in the world where circumstances can magnify inconveniences into catastrophe and seasonal illnesses into epidemics as a matter of course. Today, I will be speaking with another one of my comedian friends about these serious matters as we discuss the lingering effects of colonialization on the peoples of the African continent and the African continent and disease. Please welcome Greg Schmidt. Welcome to the show, Greg. Hello. How are you, Tandy? I'm good. I'm good. How about yourself? How goes it? Um, I still wear the same as a church, uh, <laughs> but I'm consuming the beverage of fat people everywhere, which is Diet Coke. Uh, which has never proven to make anyone skinnier ever. But it makes so, you feel better about it, right? It tastes like love, man. <laughs> <I> just... <laughs> and you know, it's funny. Like I, I do all this. I've done all this crap with. Uh, I don't know. Can I say crap? I didn't. I, you can I say anything. Like, like I told Ray. Ray was asking if he could drop f bombs. There are all kinds of. There's no rating on this this podcast. You can say anything you want to. Um, but should I? That's the real question. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, this is going out to the public, but the, the public that listens is not huge, so you, you have a lot of leeway here. Uh, Will it come back to no. bite you in the ass later? Maybe, but for right now, I think you're good. I've done all those, uh, like, the, the whole 30, where you eat, like, the, I don't even know what it was. I just remember eating nothing but almonds, and it was just shitting peanut butter everywhere. <laughs> but you can't have Diet Coke, and so you have to have water oh, or black coffee, which is fine. I drink my coffee black. But then when you go back to, like, Diet Coke, like, oh, this tastes like poison. All right, so, so Greg, why this topic? Why this topic? Um, well, I was getting ready for the coming apocalypse. I'm playing Fallout 3 and Fallout 4. And this has been on my mind. This has been on my mind before. I've done bits about, well, not about Africa, but my comedy tends to specialize in making white people uncomfortable uh, and laughing even though they're not sure they should be laughing but they do and I, I did a bit one time about cobalt mm -hmm. cobalt is a rare earth metal and uh, I'd have to check the numbers now but we're gonna say roughly half the world's production comes from the Democratic Republic of the Congo yeah they use uh, it in like uh, microchip stuff right no cobalt? they use it in lithium-ion batteries oh well, there yeah. you go. So picture picture what you can think of off the top of your head powered by a lithium-ion battery. Yeah, the, the cell phone. Your cell the immediate phone, thing. Your Tesla, your Leaf, um, your cordless drill, all those good things. Mm -hmm. And when I started to look into it, what I found out was that there's not an OSHA, be careful with your surprise face, <laughs> the DRC does not have OSHA to protect its workers against digging this up. And so you've got one of something like 50 or 60 countries that is just chock full of a natural resource that the world needs, and they don't get benefit from it. It's not just them. I'm not going to pick on DRC. 
but you have kids as young as seven and eight going into, and I'm, I'm not kidding, I'm not kidding when I use this word, an artisanal mine, <laughs> which just means it's a hole in the ground, and they're they're dying. They're losing fingers, legs, getting paralyzed, uh, and it's just for the right to earn something like 75, 80 cents a day so that they can go back to school the next month when it's like, because it's six, seven dollars a month to go to school, because they don't have school the same way that we do. But the whole continent has been picked on by Europeans, Euro, Euros, whatever, for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, are any of those mines even owned? Uh, they're, they're not owned by the state, I would imagine. I would imagine they're owned all owned by private interests. I mean, it's, it's yeah, people are just, you know, they've got a hole in their backyard for any given definition of backyard. Actually, I, I can't speak to that with any certainty. I don't know exactly who owns the mines, but the largest purchasers of it are Chinese brokers um, and all the places where these things get put together, even if they end up in American goods. So they, the, the pipeline, actually, according to a very recent lawsuit from 13 or 14 families against Google and Apple and lithium-ion batteries, um, you essentially have open-air markets where someone will work for a day. Well, not They don't work in the market. They'll go out and they'll climb to this mine and they'll bring out this sort of light blue rock by the handful and then it gets smashed and broken down in a stream. And then you, it's, it's almost like mining gold where you just have this, this dust, right? This pouch of dust if you're lucky at the end or gravel. Mm-hmm. And you take it to an open-air market and you somebody's got a scale and they give you some money. And the disparity between the final retail value of what that thing goes into and what it's paid for and the cost it takes on the people, I just always thought it was a little high. Yeah, when the when the state has no interest in the in setting control, because the the state's only interest is bringing that money into the country, not for the the good of the people of the country necessarily. Right. Like right. even some something like Nigeria, that is a, a relatively financially successful country and has uh, a tremendous number of black billionaires, has a huge disparity between the bottom uh, economic class and the top economic class. Right, they've got another problem coming up, though, in that the uh, the next locust swarm, which is on its way, is 20 times larger than the last one. So that should be fun. It's particularly devastating for them. Uh, even the people in Lagos don't know what they're going to do. It, it's a mess because what you have is this larva that gets... They, something like 560 miles of the Iranian coast was had uh, locust eggs deposited on it after the start of the rainy season. And then... As they come up, because it's the start of the rainy season, you also have the crops that are coming up. Mm-hmm. So these are these young tender shoots. So these young locusts come up and they eat. They eat, well, basically everything you've put down for crops. And then they fly off and darken the sky and eat everything else. So that's not going to be fun. There's going to be some, there's going to be a great deal of food instability in Nigeria, whether there are, oh, why is my brain empty right now? Whether there's billionaires or not, because you can't eat. Money, I guess. But... <laughs> yeah. You can't eat I... money. That's true. And I'm yeah. sure that, uh, you know, having millions of years of uh, evolution for the that particular strain of grasshopper, the locusts that live in that area, they, they eat the specific food that lives in that area. So African rice, which is the yeah. probably the staple food of the continent, is probably really at risk as far as, uh, as a crop goes. I've always been curious as to... Um, 
why the people in the area and I, and I guess maybe they do but you can't maybe you can't store it but why don't they don't just don't eat the locust like you, you plan for the swarm you gather all the locusts as they come in and I don't, I don't know how long that you know because people do eat foods of that nature so why isn't the, the locust not like a protein boom for the areas in which uh, a locust um, swarm comes through I just don't know but I guess you know it would work for the all-protein diet. <laughs> I mean, there's there's more protein in a pound of flies than in a pound of meat. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I'd rather eat a pound of grasshoppers than a pound of flies. But yes. God, yes. I had a buddy I, I who uh, in college who um, spent a lot of time in Africa, and he was talking about the the various ways they ate termites. And he's like, when you get them when they're really fat, he's like, uh, they'll fry them and all kinds of other stuff. But if you just eat them just straight out of the mound. He's like, they taste kind of nutty. You know, it's just a big blob of fat, like nutty tasting fat. I'm going to throw up now. <laughs> but you like butter, right? Oh Everybody my likes God. butter. Just Look. think of it as a, as a uh, nutty tasting butter with legs. <laughs> Dude, yes, I like butter, but there's only socially a few socially acceptable ways to get socially unacceptable amounts of butter and salt into your mouth. And they all involve corn. Not, ugh, not grasshoppers, not legged things. No. So I think why don't they eat them? I don't know. I'm trying to get a small image of one of these things. It's oh, just it's um, just a grasshopper with uh, the the morphology's changed a little bit because they go into like this locust mode, but functionally it's it's, it's just a grasshopper. It looks like a grasshopper. It, the color's different, and I think there are other like the mandibles might get bigger or something. But I'm looking. I'm looking at this now, and they they um they treat them with what do they treat these with? Oh, fire. Yeah. <laughs> so they end up. They they also get a coloration because I believe they become toxic. I think that's the issue because of what they eat, which is everything. Ah. Uh, end up being that that's the color change. But uh, you know, don't quote me on that. <laughs> but anyway, to go back to to your, you mentioned earlier that the state, the state has no interest in the people. Um, it doesn't, and. It's hard for me, from my perspective, I don't live in Africa, I've never been there, I can't speak to it, but you know, you just look from the outside, and then I have to recognize that everything that I see and say is is, is going to be bent by my lens, right, the lens through which I see. Yeah, there is there is a lens in place, and you also have to remember that even if, for regions of, of Africa, for West Africa, for uh, Central and East, and for South Africa, th there are different cultures and different um, political paradigms in place. Like until the last maybe maybe five years ago, I didn't know that Ghana was a wonderful place. Ghana evidently is a wonderful place. Evidently it's stable. It has a, a decent economy uh, and it doesn't have like starvation issues. It's politically stable, plenty of food for the people, uh, jobs. And they have a burgeoning uh, tech sector in Ghana. So mm -hmm. th there are places in Africa that are that are that are coming up but but why did it take so long right if if you are a place that has the resources that, that all the world needs you know why 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 did it take that long therein lie the question for me uh yeah you know as far as controlling those resources yeah it is it is something I don't think that there was any hope of gaining control of their own resources once they let the uh, the colonial powers gain a foothold in their countries. Uh, no, and, you're right. Uh, in a lot of places, they 
they you know they were they were brought to heel almost immediately but you know some places fought with the colonial powers for hundreds of years but the colonial powers really wanted those resources once they saw there was gold once they saw that there was ivory uh you know other things that or sugar other things that people really wanted they were not going to take no for an answer they they uh committed some hardcore genocide slavery itself was just a means to gain control uh to sow discord in those areas and gain control of the land so yeah there are a lot of factors in place that will probably never leave the uh cultural memory of of lots of africans and affect how africa works uh and i, I think those factors are still in play as far as sowing discord because there are still lots and lots of um resources to be to be taken from africa except uh now the colonial power is china oh well yes it is even though they would try to think they would try to say otherwise but but they're not no so china's china's deal is that they they come in they're like you know what these european colonial powers didn't respect you as a people we want to come in in the spirit of partnership and if you watch modern chinese media that has black people in it they're basically uh i've seen three or four movies where america is an arrogant ugly racist power and china is the benevolent where, where, savior of the brown and black peoples where would they it. get that idea where would they ever get that <laughs> no well you know that's true but china as the benevolent benevolent savior of the brown peoples is pure propaganda i think that china has a lot of potential actually to to uh so um some beneficent policies worldwide to uh to yeah. help change the world for the for the better but i, I don't know I don't think that that's their intention at all. Well, so or I don't mean to skip subjects too much here, but Pax Britannia. We'll start with Pax Britannia. Three hundred years of British naval dominance in the world started around sixteen hundred, ran right through World War Two when they were a little smashed to pieces. And I'll give you just one of the reasons it ties in is that there were two or three squadrons of British warships that patrolled the west coast of Africa, rather the key ports like Dakar, some of the Cape Verde Islands, and they they put an end to the Dutch trading of of slavery in the 1700s. Now I know in the U.S. we're like, all right, we can't import anymore after 1806. Well, that didn't really matter if they were already here, and if you're born to a slave, then you are a slave, right? So. And there was still there was still some traffic as well after that date. I'm sure there was, but the foothold the foothold was here. But more to the point, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm skipping around everywhere. So Pax Britannia, and that had evidenced itself by basically policing the world against the spread of slavery. So that lasted through uh, World War One, World War Two. In fact, the British had a policy in place called the two country system, where their navy had to be larger than the next two navies in the world combined. And it was for a long time. Uh, after that, the U.S. started building a navy. And we just haven't stopped. Our navy's bigger than the next 14 navies combined. And I think we have like 12 more fleet-based or uh, fleet quality, can they the exact term? I'm sure one of your navy enthusiasts will fix me on it. <laughs> Our carrier capacity far, far exceeds the rest of the world. But we also stick our nose in the rest of the world, right? Like we're patrolling the Gulf of Aden, we're patrolling the North Sea, we're patrolling 
the Gulf of Aden is across the is uh, it's across from Djibouti near Yemen. It's basically where the piracy takes place. Uh huh. But you only have so many carriers to go around, and I think one of them's down. And so what you're finding, where you'll see in the news, where China is literally building islands in the South China Sea, and they have some historical maps to claim them for China. They are they are building, and there are think tanks that agree, Pax China, like they're going to enforce peace. Will we like it? Well, no, because it was our peace for a long time. That's 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 our peace. The rest of the world has to be good exactly the same way we are, damn it. <laughs> so, so they're not. But anyway, I bring it up because it's all over the place. Uh, almost, there are so many countries that just have some version of a problem, whether it's, well, in Africa specifically, the rise of populism, the rise of terrorism, the rise of armies, uh, the rise of warlords. Ivory Coast just recently got out of a jam not too long ago with uh, an election that took international scrutiny to make it corrected. You know, five or six years ago, Laurent Cabago was the president. And there, this is going to sound crazy, but one of Ivory Coast or Cote d'Ivoire, one of, because it was a French colonial property, mm-hmm. one of their, one of their big, uh, one of their, one of their big exports was cocoa. 40% of the world's supply of cocoa comes from Cote d'Ivoire and nearby countries like, uh, Ghana. Ghana, yeah. Yeah. Ghana's right next door. Yeah. And so what you yeah, what you had though, we when we talk about this not being beneficial for the people, was the coast, the coastal elites, if you were, to borrow a phrase from the mainstream media. <laughs> uh, the coastal elites would take what amounted to hard specie and they liked their lifestyle because that's where the money was, was right there with the trading app. But the people on the interior, closer to Burkina Faso and Mali, Guinea they weren't doing as well. And so one of the ways that Lorenzo Cavago kept power was to, and you can't see my air quotes, but re-educate, uh, re-educate the people in the interior. And so I'd written a bit about that. You know, every time you buy a Hershey bar, a little girl loses her dad. Maybe it's not, it takes a lot more setup for it to be funny, but it was at the time, I promise. I'm sure that under the, under the context of one of your sets, it was quite funny. <laughs> Because Greg liked to push buttons on stage. Mm, so many buttons. I'm like, how do you get a whole village? I'll tell you what. <laughs> Costco. <laughs> Costco <laughs> and Halloween, baby. Get you a whole village. <clears throat> so we've got we've got an area that's... We'll get to the point and just say that essentially there are portions of the continent that are extremely underserved, either both by their leadership and equally mistreated by external powers. Right, not not even the name specifically. And here's here's the funny thing: China may or may not be uh, the savior of the brown people, but I don't think they're any worse. Right? There's a chance they're probably better. So, power, power to them. Yeah, I think big picture they probably are better, just because of of because they have different set of philosophies, but they still are not looking to these people as as partners. They're they're also looking to kind of kind of uh, strip all the resources out of an area and you know get what you can and then go. Yeah, that's I know it's it's sad. So, like I do think that they they probably do want to build up the economies of the areas in which they are doing business enough that they can have valid trading partners in the future. But I don't know what the evidence of of that is. 
like I'd have to look in to see what kind of Chinese businesses are not say not just factories to build products for long enough to complete your business in that area. Say if you if you want to have certain African areas be a a tech hub and have you know uh, certain parts of Africa be like Shenzhen, where people are actually building things on the a long term basis. I don't know if that is if that's the case. No, I don't know either. And so. Yeah, I think that's something that everybody could learn, right? When people talk about, I've got a right to work, I deserve a job. There are some things that I like to ask, and that's what skills do you bring to the table? Like, what can you do? And you're like, well, I can carry heavy things. I'm like, you know what? You're, I'm sorry, but that, that is not as valuable to a person who's taken the risk to open a business as someone who... You know what I mean? Like that, you're, that's eminently replaceable. Eminently? That's probably not the right word. Immediately? Easily? Whatever. Doesn't matter. Okay. I, I got where you're going. And so, yeah, but the, the problem with that is that that is true for more and more skill sets as time goes on. Like your skill has to be highly specialized not to be easily replaceable. Even at this point, um, the future of the job market is th highly questionable. Yeah, I know. I know, I know. We had, we had a highly complex and yet brittle economic system in place that just kind of came crashing down to the point where oil was trading at negative thirty-seven dollars a barrel yesterday. So, whatever. And that was just so they could people could get at, complete their contracts before two o'clock today. I know why it's fine, but it, it's it's a weird thing, right? And so, so whether or not China is actively trying to turn to create markets right like we can we can talk about uh, let me just think of a city before my brain goes empty nairobi middle of kenya right uh -huh. let's say that they did move away from tourism right and and they they start their their tech hub or they start their manufacturing hub you know china can't do that for them whoever's going to go in there and do that can't do that for that that'll need to be done under kenya's direction right they'll have to help create a class of people you can afford the products that they're building. Henry Ford, for all his faults, made sure that the people that worked in his factories could afford a Model T. If you only sell to rich people, you just kind of run out of them pretty quickly. Yeah. So, so anyway, that was just one of the problems that, sorry, that actually that actually did not work um, as well as I thought. I was like, yeah, we're going to talk about, talk about the Democratic Republic of the Congo and Kinshasa and Central African Republic and Sudan and South Sudan and, and for some reason George Clooney was in there. <laughs> and Matt Damon and I think I saw Ben Affleck around the corner with his charities and uh, but I mean that's only half the topic because there's the uh, the economic issues that result from colonialism but you also wanted to talk about um, disease, right? Epidemic, like there's still issues where. Periodically, they'll have major epidemics in uh, given African countries, and part of that is just being in the uh, the tropics and subtropics. You have a breeding ground for horrible mosquitoes. Oh yeah, it's been there, you know, forever. Like you know, yellow fever and and dengue are part of life for some people, mm -hmm. and some of these diseases may not necessarily kill you. They'll just make your life miserable for and uncomfortable period of time but it is something that they have to deal with on a near constant basis the fact that those diseases are out there just waiting for them 
Like, West Nile is, it's still a thing. It still exists. Yeah, I am only going to stay on the eastern bank of the Nile. I will never, I don't, I know that's not what it means. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's a bad dad joke. It's COVID-19. Well, you... Teen other COVIDs. <laughs> it's not what that means at all. So, yeah, here's the thing. What did, what did we reach in the U.S.? 40,000 COVID-19 deaths in a short amount of time? Uh, very. I mean, it's still rising, but yeah, we we did it really yeah. quickly. I, I didn't check today, right? I didn't I didn't check the dashboard today. So, but you get about thirty thousand deaths a year, if my if memory serves, from yellow fever, and most of those are in Africa. Twenty five to twenty seven thousand of those are in Africa each year. So where's the outrage, right? Like where where where's and that's just only one of something like three hundred arboviruses that we know of, right? Aedes aegypti, which is typically the mosquito you see here in the southeast United States, fairly much around the world, but types of mosquitoes, they carry this stuff. And so when you have you know, 30,000 deaths, can you imagine for a second if, uh, if the bayou of Louisiana had 30,000 deaths from yellow fever? Oh, you know? I mean, it'd definitely be a thing. The, uh, the swamps would be drained at this point. <laughs> it no longer be a swamp state. They do it. They do to uh, Louisiana what they did to Florida. Oh God! What they did to uh, Panama when they made the canal be a major engineering uh, an engineering project on the the scale that we haven't seen in this country in fifty years. Yeah, we need to. Have you seen Have you seen the reports on like how many of our bridges are in imminent danger of failing? In oh, I mean, yes, but those reports are going back for a while. Like, I'm yeah. surprised that we haven't had major reported collapses. Um, just because we're lucky, whatever. But, yeah, so here's the thing. So you've got, you've got, and I think what I'm trying to beat around the bush, and I'm terrified to say out loud on a podcast, is that the yellow fever deaths, the dengue, the chikamungo, I don't know how to say it. It's, it means, like, walking bench and, and whatever. Yeah, I saw that one, you know too. I. <laughs> I can't say it. I mean, it's um, the other one. There's a, oh, there's some encephalitis ones. Uh, there's all kinds of them, and they just straight up kill people. But nobody's running around to to make a, a vaccine for this. No one's rushing to do it. I mean, there is a malaria vaccine at this point. Well, um, malaria is not a vaccination. No, it's it's an old one, and it doesn't necessarily work great, but it, it limits the disease. But why isn't there a vaccination? Like, apparently we're going to have this COVID-19 one vaccinated in a year, year and a half, something like that. Yeah. I mean, rushing it. Well, that's because there's money in it, right? And the money, the money's not in Africa. Not for the average person that gets affected by this. Right? We're talking about, I was talking about kids at the beginning, working for 75 cents a day. 80 cents a day. I mean, it's not just money. Yes, money is the primary driver for any innovation uh, that we have, but I, I think in this case, the, it's it's the fact that uh, it threatens um, the first world. It threatens the economy of the world, it, even more important than the people, even the more, more important than the fact that uh, this current disease threatens white people is the fact that it, it threatens the world economy. So yes, they will develop some kind of treatment and perhaps it'll be something we take yearly along with the flu vaccine but uh, they definitely will have something i think uh, malaria treatment's a little bit different because malaria is not is is neither 
uh, viral, nor is it bacteria. It's it's like a protozoa of some kind. Probably misspoke on malaria. That's my bad. Oh, you get to edit this. Oh, oh I, yeah, I edit the hell out of these. Let's take a look at these then. West Nile virus, Rift Valley fever virus. Oh, there's so many mosquitoes. I just hate them. I just fucking hate them. Yeah, they're gross, and, uh, like, you have to wonder sometimes, like, um, are mosquitoes an important uh, enough part of the uh, the food chain? And I've read that they're probably not an important enough part of the food chain that we don't need to just completely eradicate mosquitoes. But, uh, yeah, they're, they're pretty terrible. There was a... What did somebody do? He released 1.3 million sterile mosquitoes into a South Florida area i'm trying to think and so that they would actually mate yes uh, that failed it failed it failed um so the mosquito population because they've done that more than once the mosquito population for the area went down for the given season or the maybe the following season but then it went back up to uh, normal levels in the seasons following can't we just like would anybody mind if we just burn the south part of florida no, I would not mind if you burn the south part of Florida. Like, most of it catches on fire every summer anyway from lightning strikes. But, I mean, just just make the swamp burn. Make the make the waters of the swamp boil catch on fire. I think well, have... You can have standing water anywhere. All the mosquito needs is a bucket with some water in it, so. All it needs is a damn thimble. Yeah. I tell my mom that, like, you see these flower pots? Like, yeah, what about them? Do you see this cloud of mosquitoes outside? <laughs> Like, you do see the larva swimming in there. All right, so, so yeah, this, but, is, this is, here's my, here's my saw ball for colonialism. And, I, and really, the idea just came to me as, as my wife gave me a dirty look. It's that you shut off the resources. You save up for a couple of weeks, and you go on strike, the whole continent. Like, you don't get any cobalt. You don't get any diamonds. You don't get any petroleum. You don't get any uranium. You don't get any fish, no cocoa. All the things that we produce for the world are holding off until you bring it back to the table. You come back to the table with something for us to help us elevate ourselves. You want to come back with some some research on some, some of these arboviruses for Aedes aegypti or any of the other varieties of, of mosquito that carry this crap around? That's great. You want to come back with schools? Hey, come back with buildings for schools. Come back with teachers. Yeah, but it, it's back. it's the small time greed of of the middlemen that prohibit for that happening. The the men holding the guns are only thinking of the short term and lining their own pockets, and those those men may be influenced by Western capitalism, but because of that, much as it is in Western capitalism, they don't they don't care about the the greater good. To to shut down the economy like that, you would have to have these people be like, you know what, this is for the greater good of our state, whatever the state is. This is for the greater good of our state. Let's shut it all down because we can exist. Actually, we can exist without these, this flow of resources for whatever period of time. You know, some areas are rife with food production. They could feed their pot, and it's not like you need to have climate control in a lot of those areas. They could exist for a certain period of time, shutting down the resources and the flow of goods, but. There has to be a national mindset that would uh, bring enough people together to allow that, to uh, take the, the strong men and the small-minded and be like, well, no, this is what we're doing, and you're going along with this. But unfortunately, it's the uh, the small-minded 
and the uh, the strongmen that have the uh, the guns usually. Yeah. Just as it is in our country, some like when the, when the people walk into those state houses in the uh, the southern uh, states armed to the teeth, and they don't meet any um, any resistance. It's because they're walking into the state houses as a group armed to the teeth, and because they're white. But yeah, strong, stupid people can still get away with a lot, and our society's changing so that in in fits and starts, those people become less strong. Uh, when measured against the group every day, but they are still the strong under those circumstances, under those immediate circumstances. In the bigger long-term circumstances, the strong are the people that have all the, the dough. They can manipulate those people into doing what they want to. So on the larger scale, it's the smart, well-heeled people that have control. But in those those arenas, the dumb people, the dumb, strong people have all the guns. So what are you going to do? The uh, greatest thing that can be done for... The African continent as a whole is is for somebody to strive to bring permanent success to those states, like all that Nigerian oil money. And the Nigerian billionaires aren't all oil billionaires. They're, they're billionaires in lots of things, but uh, they need to come together as a country with their wealthy class and, and decide uh, we are going to put our, our, our interests into building infrastructure in our country so that uh, we can occupy place in the first world because we have the potential to do that. But until Nigeria does that or uh, Egypt does that, like South Africa has an infrastructure in place. I don't know how well they've done with it, but there is potential there. And I don't know what the factor will be to make those countries come together and work as they should because there is outside aid to be had, but you know, they don't necessarily need that outside aid. It's only because the system has created itself to uh, build in that dependency, that the dependency is there. It doesn't have to be. Uh, well said. Or we could just give all the, we could give all the people below the middlemen guns. Like, with everybody. <laughs> yeah, that um, always works out. Uh, how do, how well did that work in, uh, in South America? Or, I'm sorry, Central America, I guess, is the big one that's closer to our time. Well, as far as I can I can think of, the only stable and solid economy in in Central America is Costa Rica because it's a uh, tourist, it's a it's a tourism hub. Oh my God! Yeah, did anybody, has anybody checked on Venezuela recently? Oh, I'm sure the whole country's on fire. I haven't heard about it in the news because you know too many other things are going on, but. Mm-hmm. Probably because there's no internet left. Like I, I don't know. Like the, they were already hurting for the low price of oil. I mean, as a petro state, and now I, it's oh god. Greg, it has been a pleasure having you. Uh, I've learned a lot in this conversation, and uh, hopefully we can at some point come up with another topic and have you come back on the show. Before yeah. uh, we get out of here, is there anything that you would like to plug? Um. No. Uh, no, no, just uh, next time I'll, I'll just be funny. I don't know. <laughs> I think you were plenty funny, but, you know, we didn't we didn't come on here with the funny topic this time. It was a, a very uh, an, a, an academic, very staid, very serious topic. We were solving the world's problems. So next yeah. time we'll just talk about something where we're not trying to solve the world's problems and, uh, you know, different input, different outcome. But uh, as always, people out there in podcast land, thank you for listening. 
Uh, if you had fun listening to the episode, you can always find me at my handle is Jonathan Blade. Uh, I'm on most podcasters, ones I've never even heard of, host the show. Uh, and if you want to talk at me about what you've heard on this episode or any of the other episodes, you can find me on Twitter at Jonathan Blade at Janky Old Broke Hobo Spider-Man. All right? <laughs> Thanks for listening.